HBO and HBO Max lost 1.8 million US subscribers in Q3 2021. While this might sound like a disaster, it isn't. Listen on to hear why the strategic change causing the loss was the right thing to do. Inside the stream. This is Will Richmond from Video News, and that was Colin Dixon, as always, right at the top there. Hi, Colin. How's everything? Uh, it's great, Will. I've had a pretty busy week so far this week. I did a, a conference, a video security conference with a buddy of mine uh, Monday and Tuesday. And the folks have very, very interesting stuff about piracy, and maybe maybe that'll work its way into the podcast today somewhere. If people want to check it out, just check out securityconference.video, and all the videos are there. But uh, let's um, let's let's get on with our podcast. Yeah, and I think you, uh, we're going to do our quick couple of news items here first, and you have the first one. I do, and uh, yeah, of course, I know our listeners will have known that Netflix made its Q3 announcements, which were okay. Um, I don't really want to highlight the announcement. I want to highlight something Reed Hastings said in the earnings call. He was asked uh, about what his ambitions for the company were, and he said that um, he exempting only China, he expects Netflix, quote, to be the place that the whole world goes to for most of their entertainment. And that actually echoes a, a general attitude in the call was that Netflix, even in developed markets, had they believe it has a lot of room to run. And I think by room to run, they really mean by expanding viewing time. And that's, I think, why they're doing things like game services and selling merchandise. It's all to help them serve that. But I thought that was quite extraordinary that they think they have an opportunity to become uh, the dominant provider of entertainment for most people. That's a pretty extraordinary claim. Um, Anyway, what caught your eye? Well, what caught my eye this week, Colin, is that the... um there's an escalating battle going on between Roku and Google around the YouTube and YouTube TV app. This, um, that we know has been bubbling periodically over the past six months. It has now bubbled up to the surface yet again. Roku uh, did a blog post on this and then Google responded saying that, um, it's going to pull. Well, I, I guess more accurately is that, as of December 9th, when the deal expires between the two of them, that it is no longer going to allow new Roku users to be able to access the YouTube or YouTube TV apps. It sounds like existing users will be able to. And obviously, there are a lot of those existing users out there. So we'll wait and see how that all plays out. We were joking around before we started recording, Colin, that these fights between different industry players are starting to blur together a little bit for they us. <laughs> we just had a few weeks ago, we just had Peacock, or I'm sorry, not Peacock, but NBC Universal and YouTube TV with Peacock in the mix. And we have this and there are any number of other fights that are going on in the industry. So I don't know if there are just more fights these days than in the past. My hunch is there probably aren't. It just seems like somehow maybe the stakes are a little bit higher because the whole industry is in this massive transition between pay TV as being the dominant way that yeah. consumers watched uh, premium video versus now streaming 
taking over, basically. I think we can all agree in this new jostling, in this new jostling that's happening. Yeah, that's right, Will. And I, I, I got to tell you, this one, so the YouTube TV one was, okay, yeah, okay, so YouTube TV go away. Um, YouTube is a real problem, I think. Um, if, they, if Roku loses YouTube, I think that's going to be a real big problem for people. There is no question, you know, the two dominant video services in the United States today are Netflix and YouTube. When you look at view time, it's those two. So in my mind, Roku cannot lose YouTube. Now, it's going to be well, painful. Again, when you say lose YouTube, you mean lose it for new users. That's yeah, for new users. We're not, talking about it getting, yeah. we're not talking about it being pulled from existing users. Correct, correct. Clear. At least not, not yet. But i got to say, you know, if I'm buying a device and I realize that one of those devices doesn't have YouTube, I'm not buying it. It's that simple. <laughs> So, okay, so I know we have a big topic that we're going to talk about here with HBO Max, so we don't want to spend too much time. I'll just make one last comment on this particular topic because I have a hunch we're going to be coming back to this over the next I think know, so. six or seven weeks is this thing. But the last thing I'll say about it is that I believe that Roku is going to be 100% fine wherever the dust settles. Roku is going to be completely fine. Um, and my hunch is that on this particular issue, the dust is going to settle just fine for Roku. It's not just overall, but even on this particular issue. But we'll wait and see what happens. Yep. I mean, there's a lot of stuff yep. to play out. Let's get to the main topic this week, Colin, which is that uh, we had earnings results from AT&T, which, of course, include HBO Max, at least for now, because that's yet another transition going on in the yep. industry, is that HBO Max is being spun off or spun over to Discovery, whatever, however you want to characterize the deal. Yep. And there were there were actually a lot of really interesting things, I thought, that came out of the earnings release related to HBO Max. You're going to take the lead. Why don't we start with just the basics, maybe, you know, in terms yeah. of subscribers and what they said about the business, et cetera. Sure, sure. So the basics are, um, in the U.S. at least, uh, they actually lost about 1.8 million subscribers, which uh, brings them to about 45.2 million. That's over Q2. <clears throat> and uh, we'll, we'll get to the reasons why that happened in just a second. Globally, they still continue to grow. Now, of course, they've launched in several markets, including Latin America, which they say is doing very well for them. They are they increased overall 1.9 million subscribers to reach 69.4 million and they're well on track, Will, to achieve the goal. And the goal they sort of set out for themselves were was between 70 and 73 million global subscribers by the end of this year. And they're still shooting for 120 to 150 million global subscribers by 2025. So that's, that's all to the good. Now, just to loop back on why they lost subscribers in the U.S., this is because, I don't know if our, I think we talked about this actually on the podcast, that HBO Max, Warner Media was fighting with Amazon over the appearance of um, HBO Max in uh, HBO, ch uh, excuse me, Amazon channels. It's a difficult thread to follow, but basically uh, Warner Media had a deal in place with Amazon to resell HBO Now content when it was HBO Now through channels. Um, Warner Media didn't want to continue that relationship and they eventually got 
to got their way and that relationship ended in the last quarter so all of the subscribers and there's allegedly about 5 million people who are subscribing to HBO now inside of Amazon channels all of those people uh, basically lost access so they lost their subscriptions uh, and uh, apparently HBO put some interesting um, offers in place for those people to try and encourage them to come over uh, but apparently not all of them did and so they lost 1.6 million subscribers so uh, on the on the status front of the business they were pretty bullish on how well they had done from doing the day and date release releases of movies like Godzilla vs King Kong and um, uh, I Wonder Woman 1984 that, that's been going on all year that they seem to think that that had done a pretty good job in recruiting a lot of new subscribers to the service so that's all to the good um, that deal that uh, that policy comes to an end at the end of this year and at that point they go to a 45 day window and Jason Kilar who's the current head of Warner Media says that when they reach the end of this year and they go to that 45 day window they will be uh, releasing movies exclusively in theaters for 45 days and then after that it will still appear in HBO Max so that means they're still pretty bullish about what they're going to do next year uh, so um, so they in general they're feeling pretty good about the business they did not talk very much about the merger with that they're planning with discovery uh, so that's that really wasn't on the table the only thing that has been widely discussed is the idea that they think that Jason Keelar won't go won't be head of Warner Media when the two merge which um, uh, he was asked about in a different interview but deflected and just sort of said he's very focused on doing what they're doing which is expanding globally so that's broadly what happened Will yeah I think that's a great summary Colin and I just want to add maybe two or three other little bullets to what you said just um, uh, to kind of fully portray what they released one is that they also said that most of their subscribers this year are going to come from international right. and in international they have a lower uh, average revenue per unit so they don't they didn't break out what their overall ARPU is uh, but they did state clearly that their growth is primarily coming from international no surprise given what you just said about the impact of the Amazon deal although maybe a little bit of a surprise that they're not expecting decent growth out of the Q4 holiday season I don't I'm not sure exactly what to think of that but uh, but that's one tidbit um, the other I think also is that uh, Jason was asked about the launch of the AVOD service which happened in June and he was a little bit opaque, I think, about um, answering those questions. But he did say that, which I think we knew already, was that starting in January, the AVOD service, the lower-priced AVOD service, is going to have full content parity with the non-ad-supported service, with the ad-free service that costs $15 a month. And most significantly, that means that movies like Matrix, Dune, King Richard, um, are all going to flow into the ad-supported service as well. And with the 45-day window, obviously, that you just mentioned, the 45-day theatrical window, what's not at all clear is 
how ads are going to work with those movies. Is there going to be, I mean, it's, I think, really hard to imagine that they're going to be periodic commercial interruptions during Dune, uh, but maybe there will be, who knows. I think more likely is that there will be some sort of a sponsored model up front. Some company, some advertiser is going to you know, be able to say that the following movie is brought to you exclusively by blah, 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 and then there's going to be a 60-second ad that plays before the movie begins. That, that's my hunch. I could be completely wrong. Uh, so that's the other tidbit that I would mention. So, so Will, I, I just want to mention, I think they actually did, Jason Keeler has said that those movies will not be interrupted by ads, even though right. they're okay. available okay. within the service. And they'll be doing exactly as you say. They'll, they'll have a okay. sponsored by or, you know, a series of ad breaks before and after. Yeah, I mean, I have to admit that I am an HBO Max subscriber but I have not actually watched a movie on HBO Max. I've only watched a couple of TV series on HBO Max, so I don't have a personal experience. But you know what you just described that you say Jason said is kind of consistent with what I yeah. would expect. Yeah. And and no doubt, advertisers are going to pay big big bucks to be the exclusive sponsor or the exclusive presenter, oh, yeah. which is probably the the word that they'll use. The, the following feature film presented exclusively by. You know, fill in the blank: McDonald's, Pepsi, Nike, whoever, Coca-Cola, yeah, whoever yeah. it is. Um, anyway, so those are a couple of tidbits. We have a bunch of things that we want to get into to talk about with respect to HBO Max. And let me just, if I might, start with one in particular, which is you highlighted the five million subscriber loss from as a result of pulling out of the Amazon channels deal, which I think was. You know, very again based on what we've heard from Jason and the AT&T management team last quarter, this quarter was clearly very intentional. They decided proactively that they wanted out of that deal, that they wanted to have a more direct relationship with their subscribers. And I have to say, I know that it's it's a um, you know it's a subscriber hit. There's no question about it. But I think that it's definitely the right decision longer term. And what I would point back to is that listeners will remember back in August, I started a brief subscription through Amazon channels to AMC in order to watch the movie A Few Good Men and quickly dropped out of that. And Amazon made no attempt to cultivate me beyond the seven-day trial period. AMC I never heard from because they don't get any information about any user that signs up through channels. And I ended up having a few conversations with folks in the industry after that, trying to just get my head around what was going on. And I felt like I kind of concluded, I'm not going to say that like I definitively concluded, but I kind of concluded that there's not a whole lot of long-term value for SVOD services to distribute through Amazon channels. Not to say that there isn't any value, not to say there isn't any short-term value, but I think it's difficult to make a case that there's long-term value for an AMC or an HBO Max or whoever else to distribute through Amazon channels because of the way Amazon has set up the Amazon channels program. So I think that HBO made the right decision to pull out. They kind of took their lump right now and hopefully you know for them they'll be able to get things back on track obviously hbo content is is incredible content um but i think it sort of if we just zoom out for a second i think it reflects a broader trend or challenge in the industry for these 
tier two, let's call them SVOD providers, tier two and tier three and beyond, which is that they're sort of in a little bit of a catch-22 situation. They, they love those subscriber count numbers that they get as a result of distributing through Amazon and through the other platforms, but the long-term value proposition is very low. So what do they do? Do they keep doing these deals? Do they keep distributing and sort of bear the consequences of all the stuff we could talk about? Or do they do what HBO did and just say, enough of this, we're getting off of this merry-go-round and we're going to be committed to running a D2C business, O&O business, and make the best of it. We're going to go our own way. So first of all, I'm in total agreement with you I think this was absolutely the right thing to do for uh, for HBO. Um, for all of the reasons you said, uh, I, I have subscribed to a couple of services through um, through channels, and where I can, I've backed out and I've gone directly to the provider's app. and And the reason is um, from a from a user perspective, um, it's easier to find the stuff in that category, in that, from that brand, if you're in their app. It's actually quite, um, it's, not as, it's not nearly as easy to find it inside of, of Amazon. And I, I've got to tell you that uh, there's no branding. Well, there is minor branding, but you just, it's really, it's Amazon's experience. It's, and so everybody's associating your content as being brought to you by Amazon. There's no data. There's no sense of community. So there's tons and tons of reasons why I think, particularly for a big provider, pulling out of channels was the right thing to do. Now, that's not to say that Amazon channels isn't useful. And uh, it is certainly for smaller services. It does help them reach customers that they would struggle to reach with. And there are actually some models uh, so some models that actually do work, I think, extremely well is that in Amazon channels. And the BBC has just launched a channel there, which is focused on their news and documentary content, where they didn't feel like there was enough there to really launch an owned and operated service app. But there was certainly value there for a certain set, uh, cross section of customers. This allowed them to launch extremely cheaply. Uh, and it was worthwhile. They, they felt like they could make a business there by sharing revenue with Amazon and providing value uh, in that way to to customers. So there are models that work, but I do not think that those models work extremely well for HBO Max. Um, so that was a very good decision. I wanted to actually go back to you, uh, go back go back on something that you said a little bit earlier. And and. There were, there were, well, actually, there were a couple of things that really I find quite surprising that they're doing. Uh, the first is content parity with the ad-supported side. The implication here, of course, if they if they've gone back now and they're making they're making sure that there is content content parity between the ad side and the non-ad side, is that they're going to make more money from the people that are watching ad-supported at a lower price than. Uh, if they if they subscribed without ads, um, I, I, this is very hard for me to believe. Given that they are sticking to their uh, their guns and saying we're only going to show four minutes or less of advertising per hour, that must mean that they are charging and getting an extraordinary, uh, extraordinarily high value for those ad ads that they're selling inside of that content. 
which I find kind of surprising. But the second, the, the other reason why keeping parity is surprising is you really want to, to give a reason to upgrade to premium. And, and that's why you wouldn't keep it, keep it, um, uh, keep it parity. You want to keep something to pull people up behind that paywall. But then again, I guess if they think they're making more money, maybe they don't want people to come up to premium. <laughs> so that's why they want to, they want to do, do parity. I do think it does a little bit of harm to the HBO's it tarnishes the image a little bit of HBO for being a premium place to watch content because um, certainly inside of Hulu, Hulu has found that most people are signing up with ads. I have a feeling that that, that will probably be the case here. People will sign up at the lower price, and that does tarnish. I think the HBO HBO's premium premium image, but. I am surprised that there is content parity between the ad-supported side and the non-ad-supported side. Um, so that was that was the first. I mean, I, I should probably pause here. I've got another point I want to get to, but I'm really interested in what you have to say here, Will. Yeah, I, it's, I think it's a really interesting topic. And uh, I actually, I mean, I, first of all, I completely hear you on just a little bit of the wow factor that they believe, obviously, they wouldn't do content parity if they didn't believe that they the ad-supported service was at least as profitable on a per-subscriber right. basis as the ad-free service was. So that, I think, is a given. They're not going to do something that's harmful to the business. But it still does feel a little bit like, wow, they can do that on four minutes you know, per hour? That's, you know, would love to see that spreadsheet kind of reaction, right? <laughs> yep. Um, but, but what I would say is that, you know, all of our listeners need to keep in mind that Jason Kyler has been around this business since the very beginning. He oversaw Hulu. He knows the economics of this business as well or better than virtually anybody who runs a business in this business. And if this is the path that HBO Max is following, uh, content parity, then I think it's pretty safe to say that, you know, he's proven to himself, they've proven to themselves that this model is indeed more profitable. And what I would say, I think, is the primary supporter of why they would believe that this model is ultimately more profitable is to understand what's happening with connected TVs, connected TV advertising, and the larger dynamics around the advertising business itself. And I don't want to you know, spend a whole bunch of time on this because I could probably talk for ages. But I would just say very simply that I think people who work in the ad business and the TV and the CTV ad business understand pretty well, and I very much agree with this, that over time, CTV advertising is going to morph into what's called a full funnel uh, medium. And that's sort of marketer speak for those that aren't familiar with it. That's sort of marketer speak for the idea that ads can serve not only the quote-unquote upper funnel, the brand awareness, the reach and frequency that TV has typically served, but that they can also serve the quote-unquote lower funnel objectives that digital advertising have specialized in. This is what Google and Facebook obviously lead the market in. And these are things like actual conversions to a sale, to get an email address, to get a click-through, you know, whatever the performance indicator might be. There's a 
you know, school of thought in the industry that's, I think, starting to grow that ultimately CTV is going to be full funnel. And, you know, because I've done conferences on CTV advertising, I have another one coming up in uh, mid-November, three of them that we're going to be doing next year. So I'm very much up to my eyeballs in the CTV advertising business. And I am highly highly convinced, you know, and there are no guarantees in life, but I have a lot of conviction around the idea that CTV advertising is going to morph into a full funnel medium in due time. It's not going to happen next year or the following year. It's going to happen in due time. And when that happens, or as that happens, I should say, it's going to become very obvious to everybody that an ad-supported subscriber is more valuable than a pure subscription-based ad-free subscriber. This is one of the reasons why I've been banging on Netflix to get itself positioned and ad supported for so long. And quite frankly, you know, talk about things that are surprising. It's still surprising to me that they haven't made that move. Now the stock is at an all time high right now. So they don't feel any pressure from Wall Street or investors to do that, uh, which is totally understandable because, you know, we all need to keep in mind, you know, what the dog is and what the tail is in these public company situations. And, you know, the dog is Wall Street. The tail is the company strategy. That's the way it works. And so, you know, that's my pretty high conviction about what's going to happen with CTV advertising. I think Jason understands that. I think the team at HBO Max understands that. I think the team at Discovery understands that. Because remember, a big part of Discovery's ad model is, you know, it's a TV ad business, but it's very much lower funnel oriented because they sell a lot of stuff through things like Food Network and, you know, HGTV, et cetera. So I think that's kind of what's going on behind the scenes, Colin. I could be totally wrong, but that's just my sense of what's right, happening. Right. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm totally, totally hear you on the connected TV advertising and the potential there to be full funnel. I think I, you know, um, I'm, uh, I've obviously I've been at your shows and spoken at your shows and heard the discussions and I totally agree that that's where we're headed. Um, I do. I do want to mention one other thing, um, and and that is that I was kind of he- surprised to hear them sort of backpedal a little bit on Q4 growth, because I do think that they have a strong offering of content coming flowing into the service um, in Q4, particularly over the holidays. And I do think that a lot of people who maybe have have had the service in the past are going to come back. And a lot of people who haven't had the service will see some of these movies and going to go, I totally got to see that. I mean, come on, Dune and Matrix Resurrection. These are two massive titles and people are going to come in to see that. So I got to believe that they're backpedaling a little bit on Q4 growth. So I think they'll probably do pretty well this Q4. And and the interesting thing is that I think, you know, I, I keep going back to when Richard Plepler so I think pretty bravely stepped out of line in the cable business and he said, I'm going to go direct. He was the first of the cable stalwarts to do that. And he did it because I think he recognized a, a, a simple fact. Everybody that wanted HBO on the, on, you know, the current deal on the table had it. And he wanted to come up with a slightly different formulation, a different way of engaging with it. And he recognized that there was an emerging class of people who didn't want pay TV and were going to leave or had left. And 
I got to tell you, this strategy paid off. It's gotten them growing in the U.S. again. They're now being successful with it worldwide. So, you know, my hat's off to people like Plepler and uh, who who did take that brave, brave move in, in, in the, well, it's quite a few years ago now. And you mentioned Keeler, um, Jason Keeler. You know, that guy's got a lot of respect from me. Running Hulu in those early days with those three big broadcasters on my board. Gosh, that must be, that must have been hard. And he was successful. He kept Hulu growing. He kept it moving forward. He kept the content on the services. Uh, one smart cookie. And I got to believe that he's going to continue to to do well with HBO Max as long as he's involved with it. Yeah, I'll just say a couple of last quick comments and then we should probably hop, Colin. Um, you know, there's nobody that doesn't believe Jason is world class when it comes to this. Nobody out there uh, who knows this stuff. Number one. Number two, you know, it's funny you bring in that Plepler's name again. Um, that's a little bit of blast from the past. And I think also, I don't know that I'd give him as much credit as you, but be that as it may. I think it's also interesting to note that at the time that that happened, he was working under yeah. Jeff Bukas, who, of course, famously compared yeah. Netflix to the Albanian <laughs> army. <laughs> so can you imagine, so can you imagine who, him going in and making that pitch to Jeff Bukas? <laughs> well... Yeah, Colin, I mean, hey, you know, let's not let our imaginations run wild. Corporate America, corporate America functions in a certain way. Nobody shows up on a given day and says, hey, I want to blow up our business model. That's their conversations and subtexts and consulting engagements. There are all kinds of things that are going on behind the scenes. The only last thing I want to say was, you know, when you talk about Q4 and HBO Max, I very much agree with you. I'm, I'm surprised that they came out soft like that on the forecast and especially given Dune and everything else and, and everything you said, which I agree with. My sense is there might be a little bit of under-promising and over-delivering positioning going on with the Q4 forecast. And you know that certainly wouldn't be the first time that a corporate executive ever did that sort of thing. Um, and you know, keep in mind that they're putting this thing into discovery, which is, you know, pure play, basically all about streaming going forward. So they, I think, want to message or start conditioning Wall Street around certain messages and underperforming and over delivering is a is a key way that public company executives conduct themselves. So that I think there might be a little bit of that going on with that Q4 forecast. But wait and see. I mean, I think the ads for Dune that I've been seeing repeatedly during the Red Sox Astros games. I don't know about if you're watching this, but my God, how many Dune ads <laughs> am I going to see during this, these games? Enough already with this thing. I think it's going to, hey, it looks pretty yeah. good to me. Great cast, and I've never seen a Dune movie, but it definitely has my interest, although I'm already an HBO Max subscriber, so it doesn't matter. But uh, I think there are probably a whole bunch of people out there saying, hey, maybe I'll take a yeah. look at HBO Max for yeah. the holidays. Yeah, and I, I, you know, for me personally... I have HBO Max. I do not spend a lot of time in that service. But I'm not going to get rid of it because I totally want to watch uh, the Matrix Resurrection movie. I am interested enough to want to watch the Dune movie. And uh, I've I watched several of the other movies this year as well. So, you know, I, and, and by the way, I think that 45-day window... That really doesn't harm the value of those movies to me because many of those movies I probably wouldn't have gone to the theater to see anyway. 
Um, an early, uh, and I view 45 day window as an early access to the movie uh, for, for me. And uh, that's a value. So I think, I think in general, I think it's, I think the the service is pretty well positioned and should continue to do pretty well. And I think there's a good chance that they'll achieve yeah. the goals that they that they've set out for themselves. You know, the, the the global and and local goals that they're setting out. Yeah. We've talked about this many times before, Colin. But when you look at the absolute and relative value of these streaming services, HBO Max for $15 a month, to be able to watch Dune in yeah. your home theater set up, day and date with theatrical for $15 a month. You're not even going to buy a ticket for yep. $15, a single ticket yep. for $15 in major cities in America when Dune comes out. These streaming services are the best value around. They're phenomenal yeah. values. And they just... They just keep getting better in a way, right? Because of all these billions of dollars of content investment. I mean, it's crazy what it's crazy the amount of money that's being invested in these services. The value just keeps getting better and better every day. It, it for sure consumers. does. And I, I've got my fancy new 65 inch Sony TV and I've got my surround sound system. So we are set and ready to enjoy. But I think we're just about out of time for today, Will. We are out of time, Colin. Let's, let's give a little shout out that the Red Sox awaken again because they were flying high and they've gone completely ice cold. We'll see what happens. Yeah, yeah but hopefully they don't bomb out like the Giants did in the first, <laughs> stumble at the first hurdle in the playoffs. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, Colin, great chatting as always and to be continued, no doubt, on all these fronts. Thanks everyone for listening in and we'll see you all again next week. Inside the Stream is a production of In Screen Media and Video News, all rights reserved.